Hey, palism's good. You're coughing up a storm. Right. I know, man. It just started too. I'm feeling better. I still sound a little, little scratchy, but I, I mean, mm. I can always use the bass in my voice, so it it works out. Yeah, yeah I was talking to Christian, and his wife kind of had the same thing. Like, I went to urgent care. It's it was bronchitis, and like I feel great. I feel fine, but it's like just this weird like chest cough. Is mm. he, he said his wife it's had the fun. same thing. It was like a, a month of it. It wouldn't go away. Mm. That sucks, man. Uh, get well soon, everybody. It's all good. Dude, I know I talk, I feel like I, I mean, I might have to just start a freaking true crime podcast. I, I talk about my obsession with true crime quite often lately. Yeah, you do. But I need to make sure we draw a line in the sand real quick. You know, I feel like sometimes whenever you're like, oh man, yeah, I'm into it too. I don't know if you're, if we're talking about the same thing. I'm talking about like, I will watch these YouTube videos uh, where like whoever's YouTube channel it is will be kind of explaining what was going on. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, they're showing like either they're playing the audio from the 911 call, which I got to be honest, mm. isn't my favorite part. It's a little tough. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, except for whenever it's like the killer and they're like, oh my gosh, you have to. Eh. And then you find out later that was the person. And then you're like, God, that was, what a fake son of a gun. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. Uh, and then they'll show like the, my favorite part is when they are in the, uh, interrogation room and like watching it all go down, man, where like there's the detectives in there mm -hmm. and they're like being like good cop, bad cop stuff. And then this person, you, you, you get to actually see, of course the footage is relatively grainy, but you get to actually see this person like go from like, I don't know what you're talking about to the, and it's always like the same lame excuse. They're like, she, she used to punch me in the face. <laughs> and they're like, excuse me, what'd you say? She punched me in the face. They're like, yeah, I mean, did she hit you? Like, is that what, what happened? And then they kind of get them to sort of begin to admit it. And then there's this like trail of like, at first it's this, and then it gradually like the, the person that committed the, the heinous act basically finally admits it, you know? And I don't know, man, watching those detectives kind of like get that, pull yeah. that information, put the clues together. I guess it goes back to my love for uh, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, go. Columbo. <laughs> yeah. Still never seen a single episode. God, it's the best. Yeah, I, I, I'm into all that stuff. I, I especially love when like, you know, there's sort of the, you know, whether it's like the docu-series or show, true crime or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like the detectives, are, the, the, the detectives are telling you like, well, we found out this, this, this. And so you know that the detective already knows something. And then watching the interrogation room where it's mm, like, mm -hmm. where it's like they catch him in like the lie or whatever. Oh, yeah. Man. That's so great. Mm -hmm. I also love when um, I really love it's kind of a niche thing, I guess, but I love when, you know, something happened in like the 60s or 70s and then it becomes a cold case. Nothing's happened for years. And then some detective that was like, you know, maybe he's retired or maybe he mm. is like, you know, about to quit. And then he's like, hey, we have like DNA technology now that maybe we may be able to, mm. may be able to solve this thing. And yeah, like dude. that stuff's I, amazing, dude. The concept of the detective that it just like they're like it bugs them to death. Yeah, right. Until they solve it, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. like that whole thing is just. It's a, I, I, like it's, it happens in real life, dude, and it's fantastic, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it's. I, I would imagine that these guys are kind of like we are with like the things that we sort of become 
fascinated, obsessed, over, obsessed yeah. with. But for them, it's sort of more like real life. And it's like, hey, if I complete these challenges and like beat this game, it means like justice for the person that was. Yeah, right. You know. That's one less like crazy bad guy yeah. on the loose. That's justice for the victims. That's, uh, it's got to be like equal parts torturous mm -hmm. and um, not necessarily like. Um, um, it's like vindication or. Yeah. I mean, like. It's what, what word are we doing? in like uh, satisfying, but satisfying doesn't like there's not, yeah, like that doesn't have enough gravity, right? You right. know, it, it's I don't know. Look, dude, I'm really excited about the topic today, so let's let's get to it. Welcome back, folks, to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, the podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host, Woody Brown. Hey, dude. Hey, man. I beat you again. Look, man, I know that you have this amazing topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I recently rewatched something, and I, I kind of want to get into it a little bit. It's not going to be long, but is that okay? Mm, well, I'll allow it. Thanks, pal. I trust you. Thanks, pal. Go for it. Welcome to season three. <laughs> Welcome to season three. <laughs> Nothing changes. No, I'm coming. So I recently watched uh, the first season of True Detective, mm -hmm. and it's one of my all-time favorite shows of all time. Uh Season two. Favorite shows of all time. Okay, I was just trying I did to just say, figure out what you were saying. I did double up on it's that. a lot of all time. I mean, I like it enough. Maybe it's worth the, the, the double. I haven't seen it since it came out, but I do remember loving Man, it. Man, it's so good, dude. It has like those elements of um, sort of like obscurity and there's like little ties to like folk horror and maybe even like cosmic horror, uh, sort mm -hmm. of a Lovecraftian kind of thing. Anyway, I, I've all that to say, I, it's just as good as it was whenever I first watched it. If you haven't seen it, guys, go watch it. It's on HBO. It's uh, definitely not for kids, so know that going in. There's some yeah. intensity to it. But I, I bring that up because there's sort of a theme that keeps coming up on that show, and you'll hear him talk about the king in yellow. Uh, you'll hear the, the term Carcosa brought up the you know the yellow mm. king carcosa so that is a topic that is so sort of obscure and weird there's you know tons of sites dedicated to this but even after all of this sort of like all of these examples of like what this thing is it's still just this kind of thing that's just like it's like never ending i know i'm not making a lot of sense here so Here's what I found about the King in Yellow. So, uh, if you know anything about the King in Yellow, you'll know that the character and the play of this name are not supposed to actually exist. Uh, they're fictional creations from the pages of a real book of the same name. This quote-unquote real version of the King in Yellow was written by Robert W. Chambers, a once-renowned author of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, whose work has on the whole faded into obscurity pretty much. 
Uh, the King in Yellow is his most popular and recognized work published in 1895, and it featured a series of short stories and poems. They're kind of hard to categorize, but you know, in retrospect, looking back, they're regarded as like a, a pretty important early landmark in, uh, back then it was called weird fiction. I, I would almost go on to say even cosmic horror a little bit. The opening stories of the book concentrate on this uh, mysterious and horrific play. And like in these stories, like the characters fall victim to the, the play. So basically, you know, the first act, and it's also looked at as like a script of like the King in Yellow. Like I said, it's a fictitious play. So you would read the first act and it would lure you in. And then by the second act, it would drive you mad or drive you insane. And, you know, we're talking suicide and like it would just make you go nuts. His writing style hinted at this sort of great mythology behind just, you know, four little short stories. He sort of seeded these with these tiny, like, allusions here and there um, to, you know, shadowy figures, alien places, strange artifacts, and terrible gods. To clouded lakes and dark stars, to death reanimated and ancient, implicable evil and madness pushing in through the walls of the world. All of that sounds a whole lot like H.P. Lovecraft. And... Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I think a lot of this is so fantastic and so, like, fascinating. So The King in Yellow, like I said, again, it's, like, very... He would just sort of throw things out without sort of explaining, you know, a, a whole lot. You mean, like, the short stories wouldn't connect kind of thing, or...? Well, so people say, like, the original book, the, as a whole, you know, there's a, there were, like, a whole bunch of stories. But I, I, The King in Yellow-themed stories, or, or were The King in Yellow... Uh, is mentioned is only really in the first four stories. Mm. But, you know, they say that, like, the entire book... I've never read the whole book. I've read... I have read a few of the short stories, the the, the first four. But basically, like, you know, it, it turned into this big thing. He kind of became, like, a big deal. But what was weird about it is, like, the, you know, the mysteries of this ancient land Carcosa, which he talks about, the king uh, in yellow, the yellow king and his yellow sign, that's like another thing, have pretty much, that that was like kind of it. You know, he did that book and then for whatever reason, he never talked about him again. He moved back into like romance fiction and stuff like that, which is really bizarre. And then you would find out also that he actually got those topics from, from a guy named Ambrose Bierce who actually wrote these other short stories even further back mm. in 1886. Uh, he wrote a book or a short story called the An Inhabitant of, of Carcosa, where, so Ambrose Bierce was like a, a Civil War soldier. And, yeah. you know, he wrote a lot of like fiction, but it, a lot of war stories, you know, because he was in the war. And so he was mm -hmm. an infantryman. And so he knew all that intimately. Well, he would go on to randomly write this book called An Inhabitant of Carcosa in 1886, where this soldier is wounded in battle. He, you know, I don't know if it's like a coma or whatever, but he wakes, and when he wakes up, he's in this ancient land, forgotten land called Carcosa. Mm. He would also write a book, or another short story called Haita the Shepherd, 
in 18... You're still talking about Ambrose Bierce? Yeah, 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 Ambrose Bierce. Yep. He would go on to write Haida, Haida the Shepherd in 1891, where he would talk about this god called Haster. And he was sort of this, uh, in that story, he was sort of a benign god of shepherds. Um, so then, you know, like I said before, Robert W. Chambers wrote The King in Yellow. And then after that, H.P. Lovecraft would would go on to write a book in 1931 called The Whisperer in the Darkness, where he talks of Haster as, he, he refers to him as, you know, one of the great old ones. And I guess like the King in Yellow character is like the Avatar. And so, mm. so H.P. Lovecraft and Robert Chambers and Ambrose Bierce, it's like they, they just throw these things out. Like there's just this massive amount of mythology surrounding them. And then I think what's cool about it is like these, and I don't know if it was more common back then, like it was okay to kind of like take something from another author and then just sort of expand on it, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know. I, th I think it's really cool. That is cool. I mean, I don't know <clears throat> if you remember this, but we briefly talked about Ambrose Bierce, God, one of the Halloween specials a long time, or maybe it was when we were talking about the Battle of Chickamauga because he wrote a story about he that. Did. And yep. also, I, at some point, I, I, th I think I wanted to kind of dive into the mystery behind his life because I think there's some interesting he, he stuff about him. He like disappeared. Yeah, he mysteriously disappeared. Like, yeah, yeah. Which is weird. Again, it's like it it just continues this sort of folklore where these characters are popping up, and it's like there's just sort of no explanation to it. Apparently, Lovecraft read the book in 1927, The King in Yellow. And was so enchanted that he immediately basically added those elements into his own creations. Which is why, you know, in 1931, a few years later, uh, in The Whisper in the Darkness, he would bring up Haster as one of the great old ones, one of the, mm. the old gods. Which, you know, a lot of people look at that book as like the beginning of the, the cosmic horror genre, you know. Yeah. In 1938... A guy named Raymond Chandler, uh, he was like a, you know, he would write like noir and like detective books. And he wrote a short story called The King in Yellow, which was about about this um, this mysterious death of a famous jazz trumpet trumpeter that was found in a yellow robe and yellow pajamas. So it's like this weird mm. theme that like keeps coming up. Here's what's really weird. So when I... I knew about like the H.P. Lovecraft and I'd heard about the King and Yellow stuff. But when I first saw True Detective and the first time you hear like the Yellow King, the King Yellow, I was immediately drawn back to probably eighth grade. I had a teacher that was fantastic and she made me or, or she gave me a book of short stories and was like, you got to read this. And so there was this story that like moved me so much, but I could never remember the name of it. What's weird about it is I would go on to find that that short story was called The Yellow Wallpaper, which, oddly enough, I would find in doing my, my research into this now, after, you know, re-watching True Detective, that that was actually inspired also by this, the King in Yellow sort of, like, mythos. Mm -hmm. So, in True Detective, you know, you would see, you know, for those that have seen it, you know, you would see, like, a little symbol, and that that's called, like, the yellow sign. And so, the yellow sign is sort of was sort of a vision or like symbols, you know, that that the god Haster would sort of 
deliver to his worshipers. But the thing is, is like that yellow sign would always lead to their downfall and their death, which is interesting and true detective because if you look at it sort of like sort of figuratively, the little circle motif or the spiral motif, that would probably kind of be the personification of like a yellow sign. Mm. Yeah, so later on it would be, you know, there was a an episode of Doctor Who that alluded to it. I mean, tons of stuff, like a Neil Gaiman story. My favorite Grant Morrison would bring it up. And then I would also find out that, and we've talked about this, but the the back rooms, you know, sort of the... Mm-hmm. the Creepypasta stuff. Kind of creepypasta, stuff. yeah, sort of like internet folklore, whatever. Some people say that like the yellow folk, the uh, yellow wallpaper in the back rooms is sort of an allegory for saying that Carcosa is the back rooms, Mm. which is pretty amazing. Like that's super cool. So I'm, uh, I I just wanted to bring that up because I feel like for our sort of like fan base, even though it's sort of hard to, to pin down, it's just something that's like fascinating. And I think it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to end with this. So, in Robert W. Chambers' uh, book, The Yellow King, it kicks off with something called Casilda Song. And it goes like this. Along the shore, the cloud waves break. The twin suns sink behind the lake. The shadows lengthen in Carcosa. Strange is the night where black stars rise and strange moons circle through the skies. But stranger still is lost Carcosa. Songs that the Hyades shall sing where flap the tatters of the king must die unheard in dim Carcosa. Song of my soul, my voice is dead. Die thou unsung as tears unshed shall dry and die in lost Carcosa. It's amazing, right? And and that's all we know of this forgotten, ancient, lost land of Carcosa where this, you know, God king in yellow lives. But I just, there's something about it that's just fascinating, like that it's just. It's very uh, our show for sure. Yeah, you see what I mean? You know, yeah. it blends things from like pop culture to lore mm-hmm. and different types of horror that, you know, I actually haven't read any of the Lovecraft books at all. Mm-hmm. So it's like a whole new world of stuff that I'm not even, like I, just as an example, I remember watching True Detective mm-hmm. And just kind of being like, wait, what's going on here? Like, yeah, but, you know, and I still, to this day, I need to rewatch it now. I have no idea if it ends up being something um, sort of paranormal or, or whatever. Well, what's uh, or if it's just normal people. What's so, Don't tell me. What's so perfect. <coughs> here we go. God almighty. What's so perfect. Hard to tell what's perfect when you're coughing through it. Go yeah, ahead. It really is. Uh, what's so perfect about e- even just how sort of these like little you know, veiled allusions to the King in Yellow or the Yellow King or Carcosa. That's actually exactly how it should be done because it's so obscure and sort of, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it makes it, it really kind of invokes that uh, anxiety because you don't really you don't know, know about it. what they're talking right. about. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, oh, and then there's also something. So when I was on, researching, no, it's not, I'm almost done. It, um, you know, there's also ties with like the, like Haster, the great old one and like the King in Yellow. There's references to like, like the, like worship of like the God Kronos and like Saturn and like 
all that gets super into like secret societies and stuff. But then also there's a connection to the god Pan, hmm. which all things come back to, you know, Pan. This is little freaking Pan the man. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, feet. Oh. oh, God, that's the best. I think the moral of the story here, folks, and we talk about it on our Instagram a lot, mm-hmm. read, read more books. You never know where you're going to find inspiration. Yeah. I mean, right now, there's All Quiet on the Western Front. We I read that in high school. It's blowing up the Oscar nominations right mm-hmm. now. And uh, so anyways, read more books. Now, can we please yeah, dude, get into my time? After these messages, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. This is Joshua Cutchin, and you're at my home for weirdness. That would be rad. All right, man. Finally, I get to talk about what I got ready for the show today. Mm -hmm. I have been wanting to talk about this for a long time. And when we were kind of trying to decide what we wanted to do this week, both Tyler and I were like, I said, hey, man, what do you think about this? And for some reason, when this happens, then we just kind of like change any and all plans, except for Tyler, who talks about True Detective for too long. Hey, man. And we're just like, we have to do this because of the synchronicity. But today we're talking about this insane mystery that the further I sort of dove into it, the stranger it got, Mm -hmm. my decisions on what I think happened changed multiple times. And it's a story that I wanted all of you, if you're not familiar with it, to hear about. Yeah, real quick. When Woody sent was like, hey, I think we should do this. We had been talking and, or no, I guess we were texting maybe. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, we both have like you know, in our notes, in our phone of like, you know, show ideas. And I was like, well, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should cover this. And he was like, well, let's, what if we do this? And I was like, oh my God, dude. And I took a screenshot, sent it to him. And it's exactly like the next thing that I was going to say. So it was sort of like, yeah, that's, that's synchronicity. So today we're going to talk about the mystery of Casper Hauser. It was early morning May 1828, when a young boy staggered unnoticed through the streets of Nuremberg. The 16-year-old boy's boots were so damaged that his blistered feet were bursting through them. It didn't take long for people to notice this strange sight and inform the police, who then took the odd boy in for questioning. But there was a problem. The boy could barely speak. He was, however, carrying an envelope inside of which there were two anonymous letters. The first letter was written by someone who claimed that he found the boy at his doorstep on October 7th, 1812, 
and that he was kept in his home the entire time and was never allowed to leave. The letter suggested that the boy should become a cavalryman, or if not, quote, if he isn't good for anything, the captain must either kill him or hang him in the chimney. The second letter, written in the same hand, claimed to be from his mother and said that his father was a cavalryman in the 6th Regiment and had died. When the police began to guide his hand to make an X on the police report, the boy was able to write a single name, Casper Hauser. When they examined him, they found that he acted like a child but was clearly neither a fool or a madman. He could barely speak any words and wouldn't eat any food except for bread and water. Apparently, by the way, dude, apparently he, like they offered him meat and vegetables and stuff, but he just basically would eat the bread. And, and mm. you know, Casper, if you can hear us wherever you are, mm. I'm right there for you, man. Carbs for life. Yeah, All right. So he couldn't really speak, although one of the phrases that he could apparently say was, I want to be a cavalryman as my father was. Interesting. Mm. Casper seemed to have no sense of how to behave in a civilized society. For example, he burned his fingers, touching a candle as if he didn't even know what it was, and was fascinated by his own reflection in a mirror. The police didn't know what to do with him at the time, so he was arrested for vagrancy and was placed in jail. The city kept him in custody, and eventually he was taken in by a man named Frederick Dahmer, a schoolmaster who taught Casper how to communicate. Jeffrey's great-great-great-grandpa. Yeah. I feel like there was another Dahmer recently. Oh, really? Anyway, now able to talk, the boy could finally tell his strange story. Casper claimed to have been raised in a prison cell by a mysterious man whose face he never saw. His keeper provided him with bread and water, a wool blanket, and a few toys. Then one day, the man made Casper stare at the ground while he brought him to the outskirts of Nuremberg, handed him these letters, and left him to fend for himself. So Frederick Dahmer worked with him and helped him to learn to read and write and especially draw, which Casper apparently had a natural talent for. This is Tyler. Mm -hmm. During this time, he became a little bit of a celebrity. Newspapers all over Europe began reporting about him, and he became kind of like the hot subject among common folks and uh, aristocrats all across Europe. Obviously, rumors began to circulate about his true origin, the most popular of which was that he was the crown prince of the Grand Duchy of Baden. Mm -hmm. Not sure what that means, but okay. But there were also rumors of him being a member of the Royal House of Hungary and even England. Mm. For the next year and a half, the strange story kind of seemed to end. But things are about to get even more weird. In October of 1829, Casper was found by his teacher, Dahmer, with a wound on his forehead, like a cut across his forehead. Casper told him that he'd been attacked by the man who had held him prisoner and brought him to Nuremberg. This led to more public speculation about his royal origins. However, skeptics said it was his way of getting out of an argument with Mr. Dahmer, who had found him telling repeated lies. 
Alarmed officials called for a police escort and transferred him to the care of a Johann, or I'm sorry, Johann Bieberbach, who was a municipal authority. Now, real quick, in all of this sort of research about this about Casper Kauser, I it will kind of you kind of notice this pattern. All of you armchair detectives out there will notice this pattern. He'll live with a family, mm-hmm. and the community will kind of support him. I mean. Tons of members of the community basically supported him, paid for his schooling, uh, clothing, you know, uh, food, all that kind of stuff. He would stay in a place and then eventually the relationship would kind of get a little strained and there would be some arguments and then something would happen and he would go somewhere else. Okay, so this is the first of it, Mm -hmm. right? So Dahmer sees this wound on his forehead. He's like, what's going on? And the officials, uh, you know, of the city kind of didn't know what to believe because again this is such a fantastic sort of situation that they're like look if it was this original person that dropped you off we need to kind of like get you to somewhere safe now this person knows where you are and so we're going to get you somewhere safe so that's whenever he went into the care of Johann Bieberbach Mm -hmm. okay then less than a year later Casper was wounded again but this time he accidentally shot himself oh boy it was April 3rd, 1830. The Bieberbacks hear this pistol shot go off in Hauser's room. Bieberback runs to the room to find Casper bleeding from a wound in the right side of his head. Hmm. Now, Casper's version of the story was that he climbed up on a chair to get some books. The chair kind of wiggled, wobbled, and finally fell. And then when he was trying to find a good place to grab a uh, like a handhold he had mistakenly torn down this pistol that was hanging on the wall which caused it to go off now there are doubts whether the superficial wound was actually caused by the shot some authors have basically again associated this incident with another argument in which he and Bieberbach had been arguing about these supposed lies Mm-hmm. Regardless, again, it was pretty clear that this relationship with the Bieberbach family had kind of soured. So again, the municipal authorities transferred him to another house, this time a Baron von Tucher, and that was in May of 1830. But you guessed it, the Baron also would later complain about Casper's uh, exorbitant vanity and lies, and his stay there didn't last long. In late 1831, a British nobleman named Lord Stanhope took an interest in Hauser and gained custody of him. And he actually ended up spending a lot of money attempting to kind of clarify Hauser's origin. Listen to this. He paid for two visits to Hungary, hoping to kind of jog the boy's memory. You know, maybe his his theory basically being like, look, if I take him too hungry maybe i can kind of like show him around maybe maybe it will be like seeing you know, his home will exactly sort of like in a sense like retracing those steps triggering those memories right. to kind of come back was was what he was hoping for and he took him to hungry primarily because for the most part casper seemed to remember some hungarian words and had at, had once actually even declared the hungarian countess Matheny was his mother. Here's the thing, though. 
When he took him there, Casper actually failed to recognize any of the buildings or monuments in Hungary, like not a one. A Hungarian nobleman who had met with Hauser or Casper, I know I keep on interchanging that, mm-hmm. it could be confusing there. A Hungarian nobleman who had met with Casper later told Sir Stanhope that he and his son had a good laugh when they recollected the strange boy and his weird behavior. Stanhope later wrote that the complete failure of these inquiries led him to doubt Casper's uh, credibility altogether. In December 1831, he transferred Hauser to Ansbach to the care of a schoolmaster named Johann George Meyer. And in January of 1832, Stanhope left Casper for good. Although he continued to pay for his living expenses, but never did make good on his promise to take him to England. Finally, this is the final strange incident, really, about four years later. So he lasted a little bit longer than than typical, but it was December of 1833. Casper Hauser burst through the front door of his home with a serious wound on his side. Frantically, he tried to explain what had just happened. He was in the park, minding his own business, when a mysterious man approached him, handed him a letter, stabbed him, and then ran away. Now, this letter was a little different than any of the other ones. Time travel. This one, this one was written backwards. Now, here's where it gets a little weird, and I kind of tend to love it. partially agree with you. It was written backwards and in the same handwriting as the first two letters he came to town with. Mm. Three days later, Casper led an expedition to the spot where he was stabbed but collapsed halfway there and died. That was December 17th, and it is believed he was about 21 years old when that happened. In the letter, which is very strange, it's a note written backwards so that it was it's legible in a mirror. Mm-hmm. And it says, it, it's real hard, I, I searched so hard to try to find translations of these letters. But I did find a picture of this letter, and essentially some of the translation says this, quote, Hauser will be able to tell you quite precisely how I look and from where I am. To save Hauser the effort, I want to tell you myself from where I come. There's some illegible writing, yeah. and it says, I come from, and then there's some scribbles, the Bavarian border, some other stuff, on the river. I will even tell you the name. And then the initials, M-L-O. Now, after Casper died, nearly all of his benefactors came out against him. In fact, Lord Stanhope, the British guy that he kind of was essentially kind of his financial benefactor toward the end there, published a book with all the known evidence about Casper, oh, concluding that it was his duty openly to confess that he had been deceived. You mean Stanhope had been deceived? Yep. Okay. Yep. Likewise, an attorney named Fauerbach, who defended him, wrote that Casper Hauser is a smart, scheming codger, a rogue, a good-for-nothing that ought to be killed. Jeez. Controversy and speculation about his origin didn't end with his death. For decades after, there were articles and books being written about Casper Hauser. So here's the thing. To this day, no one knows who this guy was, where he came from, but there are a few theories. We'll return after these messages. 
You have one new message. Hey guys, this is John from Pennsylvania. I was just listening to the newest episode, loved it as usual. And it made me think of my own experience with uh, unexpected blood. Uh, I was waking up one morning, coming down to my kitchen to get ready for work. And as usual, I'm bumbling through the house in complete darkness. I get to the fridge and I open the refrigerator door. And when I do that, I see that down at my feet, which is now illuminated, there is blood everywhere, all around my feet. I'm standing in it, my socks have it in. And I have this moment of slight freak out where I'm not sure what's happening. I stumble over to the kitchen light, turn it on. And uh, that's when I see that there are the remains of a mouse spread all over my kitchen floor that my cats have taken care of during the night. So nothing supernatural there, but man, it was bizarre and uh, had me thinking of it. And I couldn't actually believe that there was that much blood inside a mouse. So the next uh, 20 minutes were spent scrubbing the floor. Hey, thanks so much, John, for leaving us that uh, that voicemail on our answer machine, man. That is, uh, whew, I definitely would have been, if I was scared of kind of puddles of water mm-hmm. whenever I woke up, I can't even imagine uh, what I would have done if it was uh, if it was blood. Yeah, I really thought that was going in a more tragic direction, but thank <laughs> God it was just a, uh, yeah. just a mauled and massacred little mouse. And now, back to our show. All right, so here are some of the theories. For many years, one of the theories, there were tons of people who believed that he was, in fact, a long-lost prince who supposedly died as an infant in 1812, the same year Casper was born. But that just kind of turned out to be a coincidence because in 1996, this is so funny that you earlier in the show talked about DNA tests proving things and all that. In 96, DNA tests proved that Casper Hauser had no relation to the uh, royal family that was in question at that point. So, yeah, that theory's gone. That's cool. But wait, what, wasn't there like possible, like several different sort of. There was like, that's the thing. As I kind of dug into this, the, his story changed a bunch. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, that was the one that was like kind of closest to what, you know what it could have been mm. that there was uh, an infant that died in 1812, the same year he was born. But then they did that DNA test and figured out that, nope, he's not related to them whatsoever. Mm. So really, then I'd say the next sort of, or the only mainstream theory that that is kind of left after that essentially is that Casper was an imposter who made it all up in order to gain fame and fortune. Many experts believe that Casper himself wrote the first letters the day he was found and then completely fabricated his backstory. And then also, the seemingly random attacks on him may not have been so random either. All three times that Casper was supposedly wounded by an unseen attacker, it came just a day or two after someone had questioned his story. Hmm. The attacks were likely self-inflicted and designed as a way to avoid suspicion and gain sympathy when people started to question his story. Even the final attack may also have been self-inflicted. I read somewhere that where uh, he was stabbed is just, it's seemingly sort of like an accidental sort of fatal wound. Like he just stabbed himself right in a main artery and he was like, oh, you know, he wouldn't have known it. Yeah. To, to me, it's a little weird that like, 
like when he first showed up, basically it said that, you know, they would they were asking him questions and he would just like, just like wail, like wailing, like don't mm-hmm. know, don't know, and like horse, horse. Um, yeah. But then, you know, and then he, I guess he, it said that he, he made motions to his feet. They took his shoes off. There's blisters all over. And then I guess someone thought like, oh, well, let's give him a pin. And like, you know, to their surprise, he perfectly writes Casper Hauser. It's, this is also interesting that I, that I just ran across. They remember the letter that he was carrying and cracked it open. Its only heading was from the Bavarian border. Mm. The place is unnamed 1828. Uh, there was an an additional letter tucked into into the first that confirmed the boy's name was Casper, uh, and mm-hmm. he was born April thirtieth, eighteen twelve. And then there was like an an envelope full of gold dust. Hmm. Do you see that? I didn't see that. No, I mean it's interesting too. <clears throat> like apparently, like the second one is supposedly from his mom, but it was the same handwriting. Well, yeah. Well, it says that when they searched him, they found various fine handkerchiefs uh, with the initials KH embroidered in red. His hat was lined with dun, 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 yellow silk. King in yellow. Oh, man. <laughs> and he had an envelope full of gold dust. He was also carrying religious text and a rosary made from animal horn. Hmm. It's weird. What a weird... It's, it's, it is very strange, man. I mean, some people have said, you know, like maybe he had like moon, uh, Munchausen syndrome and he was just like making up this, um, you know, um, false identity and this tragic story to get sympathy and also to um, basically get a free ride. Mm-hmm. But I, it's just, there's a lot of other details that make that strange. Like apparently like his feet were very like... Um, they could tell that he didn't really like travel much, right? He had like softer feet, and I know they were like covered in blisters and stuff whenever he first came about. But it's like I, I wonder then where, where what like where he did originate. Like, yeah, from, where did he go? You know, from? yeah. You know, obviously, my mind for fun initially goes to, of course time traveler right mm-hmm. or uh someone from another dimension or like an uh you know someone from somewhere else kind of thing right yeah and it's like mm, a man out of time right a man out of time or you know maybe part of the reason why the captor his captor was uh you know a mysterious figure someone that didn't show his face or something like that was because it was like his future self or something Mm. You know, and that's like just really kind of thinking out of the box. I mean, the easy answer for me, especially since like you dive in a little bit deeper, you start reading about um, the, the the people that were taking care of him and the fact that they would kind of show him this, show him that, or like his story would just change in the middle of it. And they would like confront him about that. And then that's when something would happen. Like, oh, I mean, it does follow this pattern of, him just being a straight, straight up imposter. Yeah, yeah. You know, although, I, and I mean, I, you know, it's one of those things that there's. I don't think there's really a way of us knowing, you know, because it was so long ago. But it's like, it's weird because it sounds to me like when he first shows up, you know, he can only say like a few things, like horse, horse, uh, you know, like. It's like he's he has sort of, you know, he's sort of mentally disabled in a way. But then it says, oh, well, let's give him a pen. And he, like, perfectly writes his name. Um, it's 
I just wonder, like, because it doesn't really say, like, in the research, like, does he, did he eventually, like, start speaking, you know, like a normal well, young the, man? Or? Yeah, so one one of the things that I read about was how, you know, with that first teacher that he stayed with who was teaching him to read and write and all this, mm-hmm. <laughs> they first made an, a note that was like, wow, like, he's... He's like taken to it really quickly, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, oh man, like this is this has got to be some kind of miracle. Well, you know, kind of looking back over it, you're kind of like, well, did he learn it quickly, or is he just faking the whole time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's weird. I mean, and I wonder too, like all the, you know, like the acts, you know, quote unquote possible accidental, mm-hmm. you know, um, like the gunshot to his head and like, I don't know. It, it's just, it's, it's such a bizarre story. I mean, the hard, the hard part too, is it's like late 1800s. Right. And so like, you know, and it, you know, I, we don't have any of the like sort of investigative reports about, you know, where did the bullet end up? Was the angle right. even realistic for that to be a reality that, oh, it just grazed his head? Or did he just like kind of cut himself on the forehead? Yeah, right. And then there's just like a bunch of stuff that's kind of weird. Now, here's an interesting fact about it all is that I didn't know this until literally this morning, so I haven't seen it. But, you know, Werner Herzog, mm, mm-hmm. the Writer, director, he was yeah. also in The Mandalorian. Yep, he's awesome. If, uh, if you watch it, he's the guy that hires Mando to go and get uh, Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. It is amazing how beautiful Beskar can be when forged by its ancestral artisans. Can I offer you a libation to celebrate the closing of our shared mm-hmm. narrative? Uh, he is... Um, He's awesome. Yeah, he's I, awesome. I love that guy. But he did a movie called The Enigma of Casper Hauser. It came out in 1974. Oh. And um, I, like I said, I haven't watched it yet, Man. but it is available on Tubi mm. to stream. And right now. Not to just promote a movie that mm. I don't know much about, but here are some of the, here, here's what some of the reviews on IMDb have to say. Mm-hmm. All right, the IMDb rating averages around 7.7 out of 10. Uh, But someone says, one of my top 10 films of all time. What? Herzog has a way of documenting history as if it was our own past that we are reliving. It all seems strangely familiar, yet slightly surreal. The film is rich with detail of the period, which is the 19th century, yet it's not the slightest bit in your face like so many of the current period films that seem to be about nothing more than lush furniture and people who sit on them. Okay, this one's a 9 out of 10. A dark, mysterious, real, discerning, and instinctive character study. It's pretty cool. Hmm. Strange masterpiece by master filmmaker. So anyway, it looks... I, I mean, now I got to watch it. I want to see yeah, me too. kind of how it unfolds. But, I mean, I've always found... I, I heard about this, um, and I don't even remember how. I think it was on, like, um, one of those sort of mystery youtube channels that uh, is for kids mm, mm-hmm. and i think um my oldest like asked me hey have you ever heard of this and i'm like what no yeah and we and it's like a five minute video or something like that now, now i totally and, see by the way why you why you brought up the green children of Woolpit 
which that's a that's yeah. a future episode, but it's it's I can see the the sort of connections. Yeah, the connection, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's that that sort of like wandering children into a town sort of thing. Is it's always been fascinating. I mean, look, you look at uh, stories like um, the Jungle Book, mm-hmm. you know, or um, any of the like Hansel and Gretel. Anytime there's like kids and they just sort of pop out of nowhere. Yeah, of exactly. I mean, it's it's very very weird and, and interesting too. So I wonder if. Yeah, I, I heard about this story uh, not like a long time ago, but in the last few years. And I remember thinking like like I didn't realize how many different sort of like turnovers that the kid had, which that's the thing that sort of leads yeah. me to believe that like, I don't know, maybe there was a little shadiness because I guess he he stayed, he, you know, it's like he, he went to stay with this person and then this person and then they all like basically kicked him out. Yeah. And it's and and according to them, it was all or always following this sort of you know anytime he felt like he was going to be found out you know this is again assumptions uh, that we're making long after the right. fact but it's hard not to you know yeah, what I mean yeah and as much as I want this to be like some crazy time traveling tale phew, man I don't know although you know? although there there is one part of it that that I, I don't know, that, that sort of like peaks my like hope and like, wow, well, maybe there was something weird. Where, uh, how they say that like he spoke in like the old Bavarian dialect, <clears throat> which yeah. had long since like disappeared, uh, which I think that if he, if he was like, you know, I don't know how else to say it, but like if he was like one of the sort of like the feral child trope, if he was that, then that would kind of make sense. So maybe this person that was keeping him in a cage, he was a super old guy, you know, he would have been the only person that Hauser would have been able to like, you know, pick up on his language. So maybe he spoke in the old Bavarian dialect out in the woods, off the grid. Um, I don't know. There, there's something about that that seems interesting to me. But But didn't that, that story came that he told about, him being, I guess, kept kind of like prisoner. That came like mm-hmm. much later, right? No, that was right, right out. Of oh, the right out of the gate, he said this. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, then. yeah. And what's interesting <clears throat> too, I just thought of this. You know, like let's for a second, mm-hmm. let's all kind of give Casper Hauser the benefit of the doubt, right. and let's for a minute together collectively believe that he really was a time traveler. Now, I just thought of this because it's like. Anybody, well, I'll, I'll just with my own kids, okay. Mm-hmm. Some there are times when they're trying to uh, either describe something, or maybe you think as the parent, like they're trying, they're hiding something from you, and then you, and then like, no, they're actually telling the truth. But all of the questions you're asking them are like leading you to believe, like, wait a minute, here, what? You know, and then you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> your rat did leave my wallet in my, you know what I right, mean, right. like. Maybe this person, Casper Hauser, did come from some, or forget about time travel. Let's just say that it was just like he really was held captive, you know? Yeah. And he didn't really know how to speak and all this kind of stuff. Perhaps his memories were kind of weird. Like, would he be able to recall Hungarian freaking, uh, you know, landmarks and stuff if he was kept in a room for 16 years. 
you know? Uh, would he be able to, like, his story might sound different because the details maybe would change a little bit. Mm. You know, it, it really kind of calls into question, like, a little bit more sort of study and the psychological effects of someone who's been held captive. Right that long, you know, I don't really know of, or off the top of my head, I, I can't think of any cases that, um, where someone was held captive for such a long time, you know, and then released and it wasn't sort of like a, you know, imposter or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, the one that the first thing I think of is like the Elizabeth Smart gal who was like kidnapped by that dude, took her out of the window and then, you know, for a long time, um, you know, the parents were under investigation because people thought that they maybe killed her. But it come to find out this guy like had kept her and like made her wear like the, um, like a facial covering kind of thing so that she wouldn't. And, and I think, I don't remember how long that was that she was held captive. It's such a but weird thing. It is weird, man. And, you know, there are moments when I think she even kind of sided with the captor and, um, I don't know. I, it's just interesting. So like, if this wasn't an, an imposter, would it be a situation where these people were, I mean, God, this is, this is actually sad. What if he was mentally, um, handicapped mm -hmm. and on top of it, just kind of like, again, guys, this is 18, uh, thirties, right? Wait, no, no, this is before that. 1821, 20s, yeah. right? Yeah. Or 1828 when he staggered into town. Mm -hmm. This is 1828. Imagine maybe perhaps his parents didn't really know how to take care of someone that had special needs. Right, right, yeah. He kind of pieces information together and then, you know, maybe he was high-functioning but also had some issues now he's going from house to house. These people are like, well, why don't you tell, you know, they're getting frustrated at him. He perhaps doesn't have the skill set to um, communicate in a way that they find to be truthful, essentially. Mm -hmm. And you know what I'm saying? Like, well, well, the, that's an option that's kind of like sad. Yeah. <laughs> that I think about as a, as a possibility. Well, it's kind of like those sort of stories or sort of the, the theory. Um, oddly enough, uh, Joshua Cutchin talks about this some, but it's that idea that like, um, you know, these people years and years and years ago would claim that their child had been taken and replaced with like a changeling, you know, and they would like do these horrible things with it, dunking it in water to like bring their, you know, quote unquote, bring their other child back. Um, you know, his thing is like, well, like how many of these cases could possibly be like, you know, you you start. They started seeing like the the markings of like, uh, you know, like autism or like Down syndrome or, and so these people are like, oh, well, this is not my kid. This is this is something else. And then they do these unspeakable things, you know, to get their real kid yeah. back. So it's like kind of like what you're saying. It's like if he did have sort of mental issues, then like was it just people just that just didn't have the patience for it? So they're just like, oh, he's, he's, you know, fake or whatever. And then they just sort of kick him out. Yeah. Um, one thing that, that is interesting to me, and again, it goes back sort of the, to the, the green children of Woolpit is the, which to me, this lends a little credibility that he wasn't a scammer. He wasn't 
it wasn't like a put on. Uh, so if you think like in, in the 1820s, you know, this kid shows up in town, he kind of seems to have some, some issues. They go on to give him beer and sausage and he spits it out. Uh, it says throughout his entire life, all that he would eat was plain bread and water, which to me, that's a, he's really going for it to try to sell this because back then it's like, you know, food was, I would imagine was a little more sparse than it is now. So it's like, if they're giving him, you know, beer and like sausage, those are more sort of high end, you know, you know, food offerings. Um, and the fact that he's just spitting them out and he refuses to eat any of that, it reminds mm. me of the children of Woolpit because it says they, they didn't eat for like three days until yeah. finally they came across like some sort of like bean or like a raw bean or raw pea or something. And that's mm-hmm. all that they would eat. So it's, yeah. it's, I don't know, it's kind of, there's, there's some sort of correlation between those two in that way, you know? Yeah. And, and like if potentially, if potentially he came from another world, dimension, right, something right. like that, then he wasn't, he wouldn't be used to mm-hmm. like our foods or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. To me, that that sells it a little more because if it is fake, that's some dedication to only eat water and bread. Yeah. You know. And to like, I don't know. There's just so much about this. It's weird. And I'm super interested to hear what you, the listener, mm-hmm. thinks about it. Was this guy just like a straight up imposter? Mm-hmm. It also makes me, it reminds me of, there's a documentary about this kid who goes missing in the 80s from this family. Mm-hmm. And Oh, you told me about that. I mean, I think I want to say he's gone something like, and I this is just on the top of my head, so if I'm wrong, we'll fact check it later or something. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something like 10 years. Wow. Just missing. The family refuses to believe that, you know, anything's happened to them. They never find a body. They never find anything. So they don't sad. know what happened. Yeah. Okay. Then... Uh, a guy is found in, and I want to say like France or something, okay, mm-hmm. uh, overseas, and he gets brought in by the police. And when they ask him, you know, what's your name, he gives this kid's name, mm. and he goes into this story about how he was, uh, you know, kidnapped and he was brought over here and and has been living, and finally he escaped or whatever. And then this guy is brought back to the States, mm-hmm. you know, the family accepts him and is just like overjoyed that he's back. And then, and then oh boy. like come to find out like the dude is like this French con artist guy who, you know, he just heard about even, it on the news. Uh, dude, doesn't even look like he could be a, uh, like a 16 or 18 year old. This dude's got like, he's like five o'clock shadow style, uh, definitely 25. Wow. Dyed his hair blonde, which is the same color as this guy's, this kid. D- dude, it's unbelievable, which wow. then calls into question, now, were the family just so sort of, um, <clears throat> I don't know, delusional or something or blinded by the joy that this was their son potentially? I mean, the, the, you know what I mean? Like, would you, like, separate 10 years from... Yeah, the time you see your ch- your child ten years later, would you just be like, "Oh, it's them," you know? Or did they do something bad to this kid, and then they just kind of like went along with it because, like, "Oh, oh god!" So it sort you of know? took the view 
away from them, like the spotlight. Yeah, very strange. The, and that kind of reminds stuff. me of the that Pauline Picard, which that's another mm. one that's weird. It's like same kind of thing. They and I'm sure we'll do another episode where we really dive into these stories. But it's like, yeah, you know, uh, this little girl goes missing. Pauline, her family is you know grief strucken, and they ended up uh, finding. her her like 200 miles away or whatever in like an orphanage or something maybe ends up Mm -hmm. getting her back a couple years later they end up somebody ends up finding remains of pauline picard meanwhile they've Mm -hmm. been keeping this other random girl for you know for like four years and so i see what you mean it's like i feel like i as a parent would be like, yeah, this isn't, this kid may look similar, but like, this isn't my, my child. But I mean, then, yeah. but then again, I guess like, you're also kind of thinking like, well, maybe there was like some sort of like, you know, massive amount of like trauma. So it's like changed mm-hmm. them, you know, personality wise. Well, first off, this guy, I mean, it's not even, cl- dude, you're going to laugh so hard <laughs> when you see, like, no, 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 I, like, I'm ima- saying, imagine me trying to like pass myself off as like a, pale, blue-eyed, blonde kid. Jesus. And just being like, hey, mom. And also, hey, throw in the French accent. Hey, uh, I can't do a French accent. But hey, uh, I don't even know. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like the the parents, like, I don't know, maybe they're, I mean, same with him and Picard. Like, it's like, are they just so overjoyed that they've like found the kid that they're just sort of like looking beyond like logic, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And it, you know, kind of bring it full circle back here at the end of the day, because whether it was self-inflicted or by a maniac, Mm -hmm. because he was stabbed in the leg and it was mortal, a mortal wound. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we'll never know. All we can kind of go by are the kind of accounts and the stories that the people who took care of them have have sort of given us. Right. It, all in all, it's such an interesting story. If he was a time traveler, if he was an imposter, mm-hmm. if he was a, an imposter, no matter which angle you look at it, it's super interesting. Like if he was in fact an, an imposter, how did he know that he wasn't, he wasn't just going to get like beat up? The only thing I can think of is like, what would make you that desperate to just like leave it all behind and just create this story and not get caught by the people you left? I mean, you're 16, Mm -hmm. right? So that tells me that like, okay, he was an orphan of some sort. Mm -hmm. Did he, going back to the true crime, did he kill the family and then just wander off so that he could start over? But again, I, I can't, like, I think you can't look past, like, okay, if he was an orphan and kind of out on his own, like, if he's, it's just that, like, oh, I'm fine. I'll just have bread and water my whole life from here on in. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just keep going back to that. Like, that's hard to, to. Well, see, my thought is maybe he wasn't as, like, um, like hardcore about maybe it. Maybe he, well, like, he didn't. He, he didn't, like, starve himself. I mean, I couldn't find anywhere where they described that he looked, like, you know, emaciated in any way. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, he just kind of, is. I just picture this dude, if he was an imposter, he's like some 16-year-old drinking beer somewhere in Bavaria. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then 
eating sausages and all this, and he's like, eh, I'm bored. I, he walks a little way or far enough to where his feet would be, you know, he, he has some blisties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that reminds me of Andy from The Office when he goes and like, oh yeah, they're supposed to like do this like big business deal and he goes the night before and, and he's like, the guy goes to shake his hand. He's like, ooh, uh, sorry, I, I hit about 150 balls yesterday getting ready and I got some blisties and he like shows his hands as they're just like raw. But anyway, this kid comes in, he's got blisters all over his feet and I get, yeah, just no bread's good. Cause it's just like, you know, he's just trying to sober up, man. Past the gate. Well, this said you know for me, like that's all that he ate that anybody knew like from then on, like all the different, mm. you know, I mean, it says like for the rest of his life, I guess. Which that's what I'm saying. It's like that's that's like that's a lot of dedication to to mm-hmm. sell this story. There's so many sort of conflicting things about it that like, I mean, there there's definitely a con artist kind of vibe, but but then again, I don't know. Like maybe he was like trauma induced, you know, and mm. just kind of sort of socially you know, awkward. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It's fascinating it's, though, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, man, unfortunately we'll never know. Yep. Yep. We will never know. Well, folks, uh, if you know more about the story or have seen the, uh, the Werner Herzog's 1978 movie, we'd love to hear about it. Feel free to drop a comment on our Instagram, shoot us a DM. If you want to talk to us about anything, uh, or tell us a story, urban legend. If it's more long form, shoot it over to that would be rad at that would be rad pod at gmail.com. But even better than all those is our website, which is that would be radpodcast.com, where you can, you know, directly leave a voice memo of maybe a local urban legend or a ghost story or a paranormal event or, you know, situation that you found yourself in. We'd love to hear about it. That's like our favorite thing. Get out there. Give us five-star reviews. Go tell one friend that's into weird stuff in your life. We know that they'll appreciate it. And uh, I guess that's about it. Oh, um, for those folks that are our Rabbit Trail patrons, again, we are always so thankful for you guys. We have big things Mm -hmm. going on. And if if that would be rad is not enough, if if you just got to get more, Go be like all of our other best friends and sign up for The Rabbit Trail, our Patreon. We would be so thankful, so grateful for it if you do. Uh, There's a bunch of stuff happening over there. And uh, it's just where we can kind of relax, get a little loosey-goosey and, uh, you know, turn down the lights, you know, have a drink and just kind of just talk, ramble. You got anything else, Woody? Man, I think that's it. Um, No. Cool, bro. (laughs) Well, we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it
clouds in a time where I just needed some sunshine You were already dead before you became a ghost You always said our future would be a parade of flowers But now all that's left is a single rose That's the way Okay, guy. The man, the man in the yellow hat, George of the Jungle. Dude, it's or so not, cool. What is it? What is George? Of the, not George of the Jungle. Yeah. No, no, no. It's no. Uh, Curious no. George. Curious George. I hate Curious Dude, George of the Jungle. I don't like any kind of cartoons that have like that pain in the character. Yeah. And one of the most famous ones that, that I, of course, only heard about because of my name, Woody the Woodpecker. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Hate it. My kids He's love like, that movie though. Be, Dude, I can't stand it. I know my kids did too, I think, whenever they saw it. I hate that dang character, man, because yeah. not only did I just hear the stupid sound <laughs> all the time, whenever, yeah, yeah, when I was growing up, but also, you know, you're moving around a lot, you get to a new school, and they're like, oh, what's your name? And you're like, Woody, and you hear somebody, I'm like, <laughs> cool. I mean, it's like me when I say my, I mean, my actual first name is Dennis, so it was always like, oh, Dennis the Menace. It's like, Boy, never heard that before. Good morning, Miss Stibens. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>